So today we're going to be discussing a passage that includes uh, demons being vanquished in Jesus' name. Uh, and I wish at this point, if I had a story, like a personal antidote of like, here's how it's happened in my life, I would absolutely love to give it to you. But I absolutely do not have a story like that where uh, the, the invisible realm of a demonic has uh, become visible in a person and I or someone around me in a, you know, like on any given day cast them out. I, I just don't have that story. I have friends who do. Um, I'd really like to have that story, but I don't. So that's where we're starting. <laughs> Here's the extent, though, of my engaging it. Walking the streets of unreached peoples, uh, cities where there are very few believers, if any, and um, more specifically, uh, there's always this 2 Corinthians 4.4 at play uh, when you're dealing with lost people in general. The God of this age is what it says. This is 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So this is what uh, evil spirits and their master, Satan, this is what they do. They blind people to the truth of Jesus. And so even though I've never directly confronted a person animated by an evil spirit, I might not have that personal story to share, but our culture is not lacking on stories about demonics or about uh, about demons and demonic stories being told today. I mean, we are in the season where that stuff is elevated. And so I learned about this show on CBS. I'm not promoting it. I don't know anything about it. I watched the 3-minute trailer. I was just watching an NFL football game and this, you know, commercial comes on for evil. And I was like, interesting. And it's a show about a demon-possessed guy and some people who are trying to wrestle through, uh, what is this? You know, and then there's, and then I looked up on Google, uh, how many shows are, there's a lot of shows and movies about this. The Supernatural show, never heard of it, but I'm not a big TV guy. So um, Supernatural though, this is about two brothers that hunt demons and there are 15 seasons of Supernatural. Just to give you an idea of the market that's out there, there are only nine seasons of The Office. <laughs> I mean, Friends was a very, very popular sitcom, and it had 10 seasons. There's 15 of Supernatural. So lots of people have watched this and are watching this, and we just got to talk about it because this stuff can get weird to many of us, and especially, I'd say, those of us in the church who follow Jesus. We either seek to avoid it or it can get weird by overindulging in it. But this is part of the world that we live in. As we sang, this is our Father's world. And truth really is stranger than fiction. So I start there because, like I said, in our story today, Jesus demonstrates his authority over the visible realms of creation and the invisible realms of creation. So let's see it in our passage today. It's Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. Then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? 
Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs, this is a Halloween scene right here, coming out of the, the cemetery, met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Everybody knew about them and they just avoided it. Verse 29, what do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding and the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. So Jesus said to them, go. And they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men that they were now in their right mind and healed. And the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So, before we dive in, I just, I just want to do something that we don't normally do with the text, and I just kind of want to hold it up like a diamond and just like move it slowly. Um, because every single passage of scripture, you can do this with. It, there's so much beauty, uh, so much uh, intricacy, and yeah, just beauty in, in every text. So here's what we're going to do. We're, we're just going to look at it from different angles, and then we'll just pick one and settle on one because we can't unpack every single angle. But if, if we were looking at like the whole of Matthew chapter 8, here's, here's what I would do. In, in Matthew chapter 8, you had Jesus healing a leper, healing a, cent, or a, healing a centurion's servant. Do you remember this? We, we covered it a couple weeks ago. Um, but all of it was on one side of the lake. And then Jesus, we, we just, you know, like he got into the boat and then our story, he's on the other side of the lake. And there's these contrasts between the two sides of the lake because on one side of the lake, people were like amazed and very interested in following Jesus. But we saw last week that like, not everyone on that side of the lake was willing to actually, you know, accept the terms of discipleship to Jesus and get in the boat with him. Uh, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, well, I don't have a place to lay my head. Like foxes and birds have better, you know, homes than me. And so the guy didn't get in the boat with him. So there's just this contrast between the two sides of the lake. And so that, that's one way we could, you know, look at this, this diamond under the light. Um, there's a contrast of responses in this passage. So Jesus removed a deadly threat in both cases. The storm was a deadly threat, right? They thought they were going to die in the storm. And then he removed a deadly threat of the demoniacs because nobody went there because nobody could handle those guys. They, they were deadly. Um, but while the disciples marveled, the townspeople asked Jesus to leave. Do you see the contrast there? There's a contrast. And when the people begged uh, and pleaded Jesus to leave, what's really interesting is it's the same verb that the demons used when they said, Jesus, send us into the pigs. So it was a pleading, right? It was a begging. And so it, it, I just find it fascinating. Like, is there a connection Matthew's making between, you know, the demons are begging Jesus and then the people are begging Jesus to leave? The Bible is beautiful. It's 
God's word is amazing. And then you see Jesus' response, which I, I don't know about you, but if you stop and think about these stories, um, because I've heard them my whole life, but it, it's, it's surprising to me that Jesus doesn't rebuke the people of the Gadarenes. He just leaves. The, the, these, these people where Jesus just did them a societal good by removing like this plot of land that was off limits because there are these two guys patrolling that nobody could handle. And he got rid of that societal ill, that, that bad. And they're like, Jesus, please leave. <laughs> he doesn't rebuke, he just leaves. But when the disciples like have their life threatened by the storm and they call on Jesus out of desperation, he's like, you little faiths, you of little faith. He, he, he corrects them, but he doesn't correct the gatherings. And I just think, man, this is incredible. You know, like, it's just, so there are many different ways we could look at this story. One more. The story number one about Jesus on the, on the, on the, on the sea, it ends with them marveling at Jesus and they ask the question, who is this man? And then fast forward to story number two with the demoniacs and what, what's the first words that the demon-possessed men say? They know who the man is. What do you want with us, son of God? So I say all that to encourage you to seek and find the beauty of God in scripture. Uh, don't just read your Bible. By all means, read your Bible, but seek God's face as you read your Bible. Um, he is there longing and ready and willing to meet us. Uh, reading your Bible without seeking God's face is, is like planning a fun night out with friends or a date night with your spouse. Any meaningful family gathering, think of something with people that you cherish. Um, it's like you plan that <laughs> and then you show up and you're just on your phone the whole time. Like you kind of connect in the dots. If we read the Bible without seeking the person of God, it undermines the whole point of relationship. So uh, I'm guilty of that too. This is training. This isn't condemnation, but this is training to know and enjoy God more and more. So the Bible's amazing. And I just, I didn't, I saw all of that in the passage and I was like, that's worship to me. So if those five minutes didn't do anything for you, I apologize. But today we're just gonna look at one aspect in depth of this story uh, in a way that reinforces the relationship that's available to us. And so the primary aim that I see God's spirit inspiring Matthew to make here is that Jesus demonstrates his authority over visible and invisible realms. And I know there's some really practical people here like me who might say, okay, so what? Like Jesus, you know, has authority over visible and invisible realms. What difference does that make? Hang tight if that's you, just hang tight. We're gonna get there really, really soon. But this passage is about Jesus demonstrating his authority. You know, in the visible realm, you see it in the, in the wind and the waves obeying him. It's, it's very clear. That's the visible. Uh, you can see part of creation. You can feel the wind. And in the invisible, you've got these evil spirits in the demoniacs. And the focus of the story, the climax of each story is what Jesus does. He demonstrates authority over the storm. He demonstrates authority over the demons. That's authority over visible and invisible 
realms. And so for simplicity's sake, we're going to call the, that's okay, the visible realms, we're going to call that earth. Okay, right? And then for, for invisible realms, we're going to call it heaven or the heavens. And uh, God, you know, like demonstrating authority over heaven and earth, that, that should kind of trigger in our minds, oh, this is part of a bigger story. Because in the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so in line with Matthew's theme of fulfillment, that in Christ, God is fulfilling all of his purposes, um, that, that's what he's doing in this story. So he, here's a picture to model the original creation of what heaven and earth was like. The next slide. This is God dwelling with man in the Garden of Eden. So you have a little garden down there, and you have like the majesty, the throne of God, right there. It's, it's all together in one dimension, heaven and earth in the garden. And just so you know, I'm getting these uh, pictures from the Bible Project videos, which I highly recommend. And as a result, though, we, we know what happened. It didn't stay one dimension very long. As a result of man's willful disobedience, there's this separation, this, this sort of new dimension that's been activated. If you've seen Stranger Things, you know, like when the gate was open, you know, the, the first time the gate was open, when L reached out and touched that thing, then there's this evil power. You guys, you guys are tracking. I know you are. There's this evil power that can now access the world in a somewhat hidden but significant way. There's a sort of new dimension that's been activated by mankind embracing evil rather than good. And there's all sorts of biblical names you see on the screen. You might not be able to read, but there's all sorts of biblical names for both of these dimensions that have been, you know, kind of activated by man's choice to rebel against God. And it's very clear that in heaven, Things are still being operated as God intends, but on earth, they're not being operated as God intended originally. But in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, heaven and earth become united again. But Jesus said the kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. So it's not yet completely unified as it was in the beginning, but God's kingdom is now available in incredibly meaningful ways. So, of course, th this story, this story, this big picture story of the Bible is not yet complete. Um, and, and the biblical story ends with these two coming back together. Just as we sang this morning, earth and heaven be one. So let's take a listen. I just love this story and the Bible Project guys do a great job. So I just want to play a snippet of their video. This is the end of it. Heaven and earth. Uh, theme video. In the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Yeah, that's short, but it's really, really good. So God's space and human space, it's overlapping now for all who are in Christ but it will completely overlap once again. And so now let's, let's go back, you know, to
to the person who was thinking or has been feeling, so what? I knew that Jesus had authority over everything in heaven and on earth. How does that matter to my life? That is a really good question. And the best answer that I found, at least in the gospel of Matthew, is the last words of Matthew. Again, you'll probably recognize them, but don't miss it just because you've heard this. This is chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came to his disciples and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, do you see the connection to the Matthew 8 passage? Why we went to the overview of heaven and earth. Jesus' complete authority in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible realms, it's absolutely essential to our mission with him. His authority is absolutely essential. He didn't just say, oh yeah, I'll, you know, like heaven. It wasn't just like a random comment of, all authority is mine, and I want you to go and make disciples. The word therefore connects it. It's because Jesus has all authority, we can go in his authority to make disciples of all nations. And it's one thing to sing that Jesus has all power and authority. It's one thing to say that, but the, the scripture, God is really clear that we believe something when we act like it's true. And so I don't know, you know, like the baggage maybe from your past and how you think about what it means to make disciples of all nations or like who does that and who doesn't do that and who's doing it better and who's doing it worse. I, I don't know what that means for you, but I do know that the word disciple means to be a learner. And so even if you're at the point where it's like, I have no idea how to make a disciple. I have no idea what it means to make a disciple. Engage the learning process with Jesus. He has all authority in heaven and on earth and he has commissioned us, all of us, to go and to be a part of what he's doing in offering discipleship to the world, discipleship to him. And so, you know, like, if you're thinking, man, Ben, the stage of life that I'm in, or like, who I am and, and how I'm positioned, like, I just don't feel very well positioned to, like, engage that. I just want to say, you can be used greatly of God wherever you are. The, this is an invitation for all of us. If you're hurting from deep wounds in your past, maybe you're even numb to them, you avoid them, then learn to trust Jesus. I mean, just press in to those wounds. Don't ignore it. Don't avoid it. Trust his authority has made all the difference. It will make all the difference. And you might need help, you know, like there's no shame in going to see a counselor who's really skilled to, to help you heal from those wounds. If you're sick, like, I mean, just you're always sick. You, or maybe you're disabled in some way, I just say don't despair at all. Like don't let that be a limiting factor because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus and he's commissioned us to go. And I look at someone like Joni Erickson Tata. If you're not familiar with her story, man, it's, it's incredible. At age 17, she broke her neck in a diving accident and she spent over 50 years pointing people to Jesus in the midst of her suffering as a quadriplegic. Or if you're just like, well, Ben, like, I don't have any deep wounds that I'm aware of. I'm not disabled. If you're just going through ordinary life, you know, like, 
parenting, singleness, work, chores, leisure, work, chores, leisure. I just want to say, if you show me your purpose, I will show you the power available to you in your life. If your purpose is nothing more than to have a comfortable life now and a comfortable life in 10, 20 years, then just look in the mirror and you'll see all the power that's available to you for that. But if you accept in the disorientation of mothering small children, if you accept in, in the incredible burden of, and the leadership burden of being a dad and leading a family well, if you accept Jesus' purpose wherever you're at, as a single, wherever you're at, of making disciples who make disciples, you will have his power and his presence for that purpose. Those are Je- that's Jesus' promise. And, and man, like I said earlier, it's going to be a journey. You're, you're always going to be learning, finding the end of yourself. And, and it won't always be fun, but it's going to be so good. It matters that Jesus has authority over heaven and earth because we absolutely need that type of authority in order to live faithful lives. And if you just want to know about God, you know, if you just want to, if you're, if you're content with knowing, yeah, I believe God has all authority, then this really doesn't matter. I mean, the demons knew that. And they wanted to just go into pigs so that they could run into the lake. But if you want to know God personally, then living your life this way is how you can know him deeply as one with all authority. And as we, as we press in, th- this is just where our church has gone from day one and it's where we're going as long as I'm alive. As we press into making disciples, wherever you're at, however that looks like in your context, you will keep the demons out. So I told you, I told you before, like I'd love to have a personal like, ooh and ah story about how God used me to cast out demons. Um, I definitely don't want them around my life or anyone's life that I know. But uh, Jesus' teaching on on demons, he seems more interested in like filling the space that the demons once inhabited. If you look at Luke 11, 24 through 26, Jesus says, "When when a demon goes out of a man, it passes through waterless spaces seeking rest. And not finding any rest, it says, I'm going to return to the house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds that house swept and put in order. Basically, the devil wrecks havoc in your life. And in life, that's what he loves to do. Oh, a clean space? That means I can wreck more havoc. And he'll invite other spirits, more evil than himself, and they'll go in and live there. And the last state of the person will become worse than the first. So I just want to say, you know, it kind of encouraged me, Casting out demons without keeping them out does no long-term good. But in making disciples, you're keeping them out. The Gadarenes guy, he, he became a witness. Matthew doesn't give us the long version of this story, but he was kind of a direct commission disciple maker of Jesus. He wanted to go with Jesus, and Jesus actually said, I want you to go back to, I, I want you to go around and tell of what's been done for you. And it, everything we know, it seems like he did that. So, um, in conclusion, I'd like to end with a word on feelings. And you might think, well, that was out of left field. (laughs) But we cannot deal with authority well 
We can't deal with authority well without dealing with our feeling. Because whether you are in charge or whether you're not in charge, you'll feel things uh, as someone who has suffered from bad authority or as someone who has flourished under good authority. Feelings, feelings are present in this subject. And, and from the text today, just, just look at the range of emotions. I didn't even get to that when we like held the text up under a light. Um, but from the text, we just see this range of emotions at play. The distressed panic of the disciples in the storm to the absolute marvel. Could you imagine their speechlessness after Jesus just calmed a storm they thought was going to wipe them out? And there were certainly emotions behind the whole town begging, pleading with Jesus to leave. And these emotions can cloud our rational thinking often. Emotions can also contribute to good, wholesome thinking. But we are emotional beings, and so we need to deal with them. And so uh, the reason that the train is up here is I've used this illustration before, uh, that, that we need to know the facts about who God is. We need to put our confidence, faith, in the facts. And feeling comes after that. We need to be aware of our feelings, but our, our faith is not driven by our feeling. Our, our, our feeling actually comes along after our faith in terms of um, how do we know that this is true? It's not because we feel like it's true. But I, wa I want to keep that up there because that does not mean that feelings don't matter. If you take that cart of feelings off, it's very unhealthy. But we have to keep them and keep them in their proper place. So feelings, here's the proper place of feelings. They make a great servant, but a terrible master. Feelings make a great servant, but a terrible master. This is a... Uh, an illustration to show when feelings are your master, you feel something and then you do it. You feel sadness and then you act on it. You feel anger and then you explode. That's what feelings as a master looks like. You feel, you do, and then when you do it, you feel differently. Oh, I got that off my chest. I'm not angry anymore because I just let it out, right? You feel, you do. You feel, you do. That's the natural human impulse, I feel shame, I feel fear, I'm going to hide, okay? But I want to introduce you to a better way, I believe a more biblical way of processing and dealing with feelings, and this is when feelings are your servant. You do not serve feelings, but your feelings help serve you, and it's more complicated, as you can see. There's five steps, not just one. First, you feel something then you tolerate that feeling. This is the hardest step, in my opinion. This is when you let the, the certain feeling that you feel, you let it talk to you. You hear its message. You don't turn down the music because you don't like that message. You are in control and you choose to hear it. And this also works for good feelings and then tolerate is really easy. It's like, it's more like enjoy. <laughs> but it's kind of like the hokey pokey. You, you put yourself in and then you take yourself out. Okay. That's how you can remember tolerate 
and then pause. Tolerate is putting yourself in. Pause is when you take yourself out and you start talking to the emotion. You heard the emotion. You heard its message for you. Now you take yourself out and you think about it and say, well, what's true? Let's gather some other data here so that I can move to the next step and choose what is real, what is true. And then when you've chosen, this is actually what's real and true, then you can act. Act on what you've decided. And so that concludes today's message. But as we close in prayer, we can leave this up. And what I want to invite you to do is talk to God about what you're feeling or what you've been feeling persistently to tolerate it, to just really listen to it. And that's difficult to stay there. And then pull back and pause. Listen to what God says. Listen to what's true about that. King Jesus, thank you for this other very practical application that because you have all authority, we don't have to be controlled by feelings or anything else. But instead, we can access your power for your purposes in our life. Thank you that you just don't use us as tools, but you work with us. It is a co-mission, a mission together. And as the band comes up, I, I want us to keep talking to God because essentially what we do when the band comes up and we sing, it is a time of choosing and it is a time of doing. Choosing to trust and then acting on that by expressing it in song together.